Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Get Out of Rap. Today, I'm joined by Maxine Allard, and Maxine is the Senior Account Director at Odigo. Hi, Maxine. Hi. Thanks very much for, for joining. We've probably already come up with a separate podcast before we hit record, so uh, look, out for, look out for that on a future date. Um, let's start where everyone likes to start and, and talk about your your career to date. So you're now Senior Director at Odigo um, and loving life there. How, do, how have you got to this point? Um, a good question. I, um, I was obsessed by telephones as a child, absolutely obsessed by them, thought they were the most wonderful thing in the world. Um, so it's no surprise that um, one of my very first jobs was working for BT. Um, and then when I left uh, sunny Suffolk and uh, went to the glitzy big lights of London, um, I worked in the telecoms team at Schroeder's Bank for a while. Um, once I'd learned loads there, and I really, really learned loads there, I had a brilliant mentor in the um, telecoms manager there, she was fantastic. Um, I moved from there to working for what was an Octel partner. Um, I then moved to work for Octel, who were acquired by Lucent, that became Avaya. Then I went back to BT, um, and after since then I've worked for um, Aspect uh, Noble, who are now both of Alvaria, um, and now I'm at Odigo. So just uh, telecoms contact centre nearly all the way through. Wow. And that, that from that very first early point then, what was it about the just the, the telephone itself that was so captivated you as a youngster? Um, I think it was the understanding that you could talk to anybody anywhere and it was just talking then obviously there's no FaceTime way back then um, and it, it, it I just thought it was wonderful I just the you know the ability to you know dial a few numbers and you can speak to anybody in the world um, when I was at school um, what would now be junior school I, I was in that kind of American middle school type system so when I was at middle school um, we had, there was a competition to write um, an essay about the benefits of being in the European community. And um, I think then, even then I was writing about communicating and talking to people in different countries and how easy it was and why that was a, you know, was a great thing. And I'd have been about 10 or 11 about then. I must've been an awfully boring child. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and that just carried on then, did it? Yeah, really. Um, I just, I just love it. I just think that um, there's just something about it. And now, of course, you know, I used to take things to bits to try to understand how they work. But you know, taking a telephone to bits or a radio to bits and seeing circuit boards meant nothing to me as a child. I was probably better off with a Meccano. Um, but that hasn't really changed. I, I, I still, I love the um, intelligence of the technology. I like the intelligent application of it and the the, the, the possibility of it. The you, you know the the the, the power in it. It, it. I just I just find it um, incredible, and I, I'm still the same with that. Every new thing is. I don't understand how it works. I, I really wish I did, but but it's what it does. It's the you know how the technology just enhances the the communication, or it should do. It, it absolutely should do so so it's still yeah you can still I, I love it absolutely love it well your enthusiasm and passion for it is is, is tangible and mm -hmm. I think um it's great that you know you you can apply that in in the contact center because when you think about it if I if I talk to people outside of our industry and say I work in contact centers everyone always assumes I think the first port of call is that it's your talking to customers where in fact what you really nicely evidence is if you're passionate about technology and communication and making the best of that for everyone's benefit contact centers are a great place to be because there's so much of that technology and so many forward thinking people in it yeah I was um I was talking to uh, one of my customers this morning he's recording a podcast for us today um and I talked to him about the things we'd spoken about um a little bit about you know how how you can grow so easily from being in a contact center role um, and I hadn't realized that um there's a massive proportion of people in his team he owns the um what they call virtual contact center for uh, a big um, ut um, utilities provider in the UK. Um, and loads of people at senior level in his team have actually worked their way up 
So in various different guises, they've been in contact centre in some way um, and, and just worked their way up the organisation. Um, and I hadn't realised, you know, you just assume everybody's come in on that with their fantastic electrical or mechanical degrees, engineering or whatever, and got into these marvellous development and um, uh, strategic roles. And actually lots of them, you know, started in a not dissimilar way to, to me and, uh, and you, I believe, actually, and, and just sort of worked the way up through the organisation. And, and that was, I had no idea. It just doesn't come up, does it, outside no. of the industry, you know? Well, let's touch on that then, because it's, I think, again, people listening sometimes, like you say, you look at others, especially those in senior roles, and go, you just landed here from outer space somehow, <laughs> uh, ready for this role, absolutely. every You've got every qualification that you need, every skill, and you've known the right people, whereas, in fact, we've all had a bit of kind of pinball-type, um, careers that because you you rattled through yours what kind of different roles or what message would you say about how your career can help those who might want to go on the same journey um i i think i think it's about having a passion for what you do and that that sounds a little bit cliched um i, I, I that whole thing about if you do what you love you never have to work a day I'm not sure I completely agree entirely with that because I'm not sure it's healthy to, to be so mm. immersed in, in work. Mm. Um, but I think I have been lucky, actually. I think I, I, I generally consider myself to be lucky and I've been in fortunate positions where I've, I've been invited into to roles that, that really suit me. Um, but I think making sure you have a really solid understanding and a grounding in whatever field it is you want to go into. So in, in, in my case, it was, you know, the desire to be in a customer facing role uh, within, you know, within technology. And because I like those conversations, I like solving problems. Um, and I do joke that I should have been an engineer or I should have been in pre-sales or even be a, a service delivery manager, although that's a very difficult job. Um, because the, at the core of what I like doing, of what satisfies me, is um, solving problems. And I think if you can find whatever it is that satisfies your work need um, and then focus on that, you, you, can, you can find a way to make it fit. It, I think we, we touched on this before. It, it concerns me slightly at the moment that I think that there's a lot of people with a lot of ability who aren't necessarily being given uh, the opportunity uh, to uh, to, to move into these kinds of roles or to, you know, to even get in an entry level position. I, I'm really um, glad and actually quite excited to see that uh, BT again, but they never really stopped. And some other businesses, I think, I think Lloyds Bank, but you might need to check that, are um, looking at apprenticeships again. Um, and I think, I think that that brings opportunity to people who absolutely have ability, but might not have had the opportunity to go to university. And for a long time, any degree, even if it's a third in, I don't know, I can't think of anything. Uh, third in something, Yes, a third, <laughs> a third in drama, which is, you know, um, would, would, was considered minimum entry level for blue chip organisations. And, and actually, I think that disadvantages a lot of people that don't necessarily come from a, a background mm. where going to university is expected, but they, you know, they may well have masses and masses of ability. And to, to go kind of go back to the contact centre thing, I, I do see contact centre as one of the um, one of the best routes into um, businesses that you might want to work for. Um, that you know, the, the another um, person that I was speaking with this morning said that he used to work with a bank, and as when you went into the bank on the wall, there were handprints of uh, when you went into the contact center, there were handprints of every person who'd worked in that contact center that had then elevated out of let's say elevated that's that says speaks volumes actually. Let's touch on that in a second. Yeah. Everybody that had then moved out of the contact center into other parts of the bank. And I thought that was, you know, yeah, to make the point, you can start brilliant. here. I love that. I, I don't mm. know which one it was. I can't believe I haven't been there, so. <laughs> well, that's one to go to, but I, yeah. what a lovely visual representation of something that I think 
we definitely overlook in the industry in terms of how do we attract talent? Because it's interesting, you, you kind of caught yourself saying elevate. Mm. And I know exactly what you mean, because I've used similar language before, but I think it's okay to do that. And we can have sensible conversations around, um, as you rightly pointed out, I was an agent. And when it when the penny dropped, that hang on a minute, I can progress here quicker than anywhere else. It's, it's, I'm surrounded by lovely people. Every day someone made me belly laugh till I cried. Um, <laughs> and there was loads of opportunities all around me. And I would say that I was very conscientious and very driven to progress to team leader. And I went kind of like a, an operational route. All of those things taken into consideration though, I still had very regular occurrences of the job being very, very tough. And, mm. you know, it was, it was seen that there, there were people who um, were quite happy to stay uh, as customer service advisors or whatever you want to call them and go, no, this is me. I'm good. I can switch off and I can interact really well, but I, I have no desire to go elsewhere. There was another group, I think, like me, who were like, this is good grounding for me. It's great understanding. But, you know, sometimes the end of a shift, you were just mentally done in. Um, so, so, and that lends itself to then saying about kind of elevate or get out of an advisor role or progress into other areas. Do you think, though, that actually going back to having that grounding, if you start in that role and you can cope with the kind of things that those advisors have to put up with every single day, again and again and again and, and you do learn from it you know you, mm. you you learn how to how to have a conversation where both of you will end up satisfied at the end of it you know none of this ridiculous collapse mutual supervisor nonsense but that that um i think that shows a level of determination of resilience of um uh, you know just that ability to bounce back which is is resilience really i i, I wonder if that grounding because it is also another thing that then you know serves you well in in future roles because you know as you move in, and let's say if talking about moving into more senior roles those challenges are very very different very mm. different from, mm. from that kind of coalface um uh, work um but actually the tools you need are the resilience the understanding the determination the you know how do we get to the best result all the time so I wonder if it's I wonder if there is a innate personality type in a skilled advisor that actually makes them a, an ideal candidate for um you know for, for moving on to, to more senior roles maybe there are more of them there than we realized I, I completely agree with that completely I think there's um a level of it's just you mentioned the resilience you also you have to teach yourself not to react Deliver for, deliver for that person who could be, at, it, it feels like they're attacking you. You know they're not attacking you, but there's this, I've, I've read further actually, this, there's a mental dissonance and it's unhealthy. So you can say they're not, I know that they're not angry with me. They might be angry with the company that I'm working for. But you, the fact you still have to engage, yeah. it, it leaves a mental kind of um, scar. But I think... If you can deal with that and then still communicate to a diplomatic resolution or a resolution that helps someone, that stands you in really good stead yeah. for the, the, the future. You know, I think kind of being, being able to deal with stuff like that continually is, a, is you definitely beneficial in later life, definitely. And we don't talk about it enough. We don't talk about, I know you're very passionate. And when we spoke about, what would you like to talk about? You know, um, one of the things was progression and that we don't do enough to talk about the progression that is in our industry at a time when we are struggling to get in new talent. Seems mm -hmm. mental, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Absolutely bad. Um, I think I, I, we know that, that, that across all industries, uh, people are, you know, struggling to, to retain good employees and, um, uh, we, we touched on this briefly when we spoke before about, you know, if people are able to um, become hybrid workers, if they are able to work from home, that should open up 
um, more people to, to, to be able to move into these roles to, you know, to, um, to work from home, to work from wherever, actually doesn't, it obviously doesn't need to be at home. But I think one of the, I think the, the flip side of that is that by not having that kind of regular interaction with everybody, by not being in that supportive environment, you might lose the opportunity to spot people who are, who would naturally have progressed had you still been in that kind of office environment. I'm a big believer in homeworking. I've been a homeworker for, I think, 15 years, maybe even longer than that. So, you know, the idea of having to be in the office all the time is um, quite challenging for me now, right. actually. I mean, I, I, I would do it, of course, you know, but but um, I would find that quite difficult. But in my role, you, you're part of a team, but you're fairly autonomous. And I think in the... Um, contact center environment that team stuff is really really important you know who the stars are you know who the stars in your team are who to look out for who to go to who who's the person who knows the answers to everything there's always there's always at least one person that knows the answer to everything but what worries me in 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 that environment is how much autonomy those advisors will have how much opportunity will they have to shine if they're working from home, working to a script, only being assessed on a, a measurable, quantifiable, that's a better word, a quantifiable result, you know, what, not average handling time, hopefully, but, um, but, but you know, the, the kind of typical KPIs mm. and stats mm. and metrics that you see, um, when things like, you know, the genuine customer satisfaction, you know, was that achieved? What did that person do? Did they, you know, did they show initiative? Were they able to X, Y, Z? Are they, and I, I do, it does worry me that that's, that's going to be missed a bit. I've gone off on a tangent, haven't I? No, um, I really like that because the, the, the title of the essay to discuss is does hybrid working um, negatively impact progression opportunities of our frontline team members I, I think it's a really good question I've I've not heard it I've not heard it discussed that often no I it, I think the I think if you were in the team before home working or hybrid working was as prevalent and it had to be prevalent and thank goodness we had the technology to support it thank goodness um Although, uh, sorry, another tangent, um, the amount of work that frontline advisors have had to do over the past two years within that isolating, mostly at home environment, I think that needs to be recognised too. Yeah. I, I, I really, really do. Mm. I know there's the whole thing about frontline workers and everybody's conveniently forgotten about a lot of it now, but but there's a there was a lot of work and a lot of hard work that, that I think frontline advisors were doing then, especially in, in specific industries. But anyway, um, if, you, if you joined a team post pandemic or during a pandemic and you don't know that team and they don't know you, um, I, I think there is a danger that real talent, you know, somebody with amazing ability could be overlooked just because they're not there. They're not being seen to be a star uh, and mm. I, I don't I don't have the answer to how you um, mitigate that I think we we talked briefly before about um, gamification and and employee engagement all of those kinds of things and I like gamification actually I, I as long as it's done well and with and the um, the advisor community are consulted on what they want it to look like, what the what they want the rewards to be. And you used to talk about this quite a bit. For me, if I was going into the office, maximum reward, guaranteed car parking space where my precious car can sit and be in no danger. Other yeah. people shouldn't care less about that. They want a date night at the cinema or dinner or, or cash or an afternoon off. Give me a duvet day. Actually, wouldn't mind one of those. Um, but, um, but it's that, as long as the reward is worth it you'll get that engagement but typically even with that what's being measured is a quantifiable kpi type measure you don't i, I don't know how you find and reward incentive or, or not incentive um i do mean i, I can't think of the right word I, of, of how you reward um the um you know, natural good behavior, consistent good behavior, um, 
the you know using your intelligence to solve a problem even though it's maybe slightly off script all of those kinds of things that I'm not sure I don't know that there's a way to do that unless you're observed doing it and I and I'm not for one minute suggesting that you know people are um, monitored 24-7 to to understand the conversations that are being had outside of you know useful tools like speech analytics and, and AQM all those kinds of things but I don't know how you get there. I don't know how you spot your rising star. I wonder if there's a place in contact center for contact center specific talent pools or um, the uh, rising stars and, and, and not necessarily just people who've come in at, you know, um, early 20s, you know, have it across the board. It doesn't have to be, oh, well, you're in this age range, which is what I've seen before with um, talent spotting. It's It's at the entry level which is good because obviously you need that but I wonder if there's a place for it in contact center separate from um you know that kind of these are our young rising stars model. I completely agree I completely agree with lots of what you said there very thought-provoking because it it's made me it's, it's made me think about um the challenge we have from a um, from a hybrid workforce, where I would say that as I as I became more senior, a lot of I would like to go and spend time with the teams as much as possible to find out how pe who people were, because I'd just seen their names on reports or whatever it may. Like you say, we 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 don't suffer from numbers or the stats or data a lack of it we've got loads haven't we in our industry so um you'd like to go out and see who who people were and just kind of observe them as you say and i i know we're all aware of the phrase microaggressions but i also think something you said then prompted me what we miss is the micro interactions it's just a small oh. little um, because you were saying something about gamification and incentive schemes and and I thought well I was thinking well peer-to-peer -peer is a good one but peer-to-peer -peer is far easier when if you the person sat next to you is always really helpful and that's in between calls or helping you with your system or technology plugging your headset in for whatever it may be and then you go right I'm going to recognize Charlotte here with this peer-to-peer -peer scheme those kind of things are harder in a remote environment because even a micro interaction needs some sort of planning. You need availability. You need the, the, the person that you'd like to have a little interaction with to be available at the same time. It's all of these things are gone. And I think those kind of, it was in those moments, especially if you were observing, mm. you could see people and go, I know it's going to sound like I'm a hippie now, but I, there were there were people who you just they just had a good zen about them as well you were just just being close to them in that area that sounds wrong um you know just being in the contact center and seeing people operate and go i like how this person conducts themselves it's something more than body language there's um you you see um natural leaders in that environment too yes. people and also um, in a lot of roles and a lot of businesses, there are roles that need charisma, and that mm. person may not be the most um, amazing advisor, but they may have something, some charismatic spark that means that they would fit well into another role in the business. And, I, and again, if you're not there seeing that, I don't, I, I don't know how well it comes over. Um, I, mm. I, I also, you're also, um, you know, when you're in. I'm, and I keep stressing this, I am not against hybrid working in any way. I think no, me neither. so, so healthy. Mm. Um, but I think if you're in the um, contact centre environment, you, as you said, you know, you can see um, who is present, who's engaged, who, who who's, you, I can't, you know, who who, who is it that is, is a presence in, in, in that mm. environment and it's, it's so I don't I I am I, unless I have missed something I'm really struggling to think of how you would spot that mm. um 
in a full remote environment. There must be ways because it still happens, you know, and I, I think also that the, everybody's so busy. So I think that's probably where I was trying to go with this. I think that yeah. you, know, you, you look at um, the advisors are very busy. Supervisors are incredibly busy. Their supervisors are very, very busy. So if you're not all there, things that used to slip through the net, even when everybody was present, so things like um, one-to-ones, mm. training, Q, mm. QA, QM kind of conversations, they they all go the minute the contact centre is, is yeah. busy. Uh, and and yeah. they, they just disappear. Um, and I think from what I see that contact centers, most contact centers are busier than ever. So again, it, you know, we, I think we have to be really, really careful that certainly the one-to-one sessions are, and training too, don't get overlooked in the, in that rush mm. to, 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 to service our customers. Cause that's what we're mm. there for. You're there to service mm. our customers. And I just, just wonder how, how much we're missing at the minute. I think it's again it's another spot on point because it's even some of the language that you hear people use around that is of course we don't do them because we've got our service levels are, yeah. are more are more important if you if you flip that on its head and I have um worked with or seen places that have kind of like a a three line whip around these things that you know what if we if we don't hit our service levels because we're doing regular one-to-ones or coaching sessions then what this is identifying is we have a, a resourcing yes absolutely. challenge rather than yeah we hit our service levels but no one's being developed no and to your point it's even more important which i i absolutely love because there's people that have come into the industry that we could lose because we haven't invested in their development or even taken the time to see them like you said earlier because if we're not doing it remotely, if we're not doing the coaching sessions, if we're not going, you know, in my coaching session, I spoke to someone and I reckon they're, they've got a great future. They're really interested in finance or, or, or whatever it may be. I'm going to try and facilitate a meeting with a finance manager to do X, Y, and Z. Those kind of things can be so easily forgotten. I don't think I've ever asked a supervisor if they are in any way rewarded or recognized for spotting talent that could move into other parts and make a difference in other parts of the business. Um, Another light bulb you've just had there, because (laughs) we do refer a friend all the time, don't we, for external, we don't do, I've not heard of either, maybe someone listening will say, they're screaming at the car <laughs> stereo no go, we do it we do it if you do please get in touch um but i think that i love that so this would be talent recognition yeah. scheme yeah mm. <laughs> and i do think like you said earlier as well um be careful that you don't that well that the, the, make sure that that is wide enough that it isn't just here's our aspiring future stars and they're all under the age of 21, you know, because one of your aspiring stars could be 61. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I just, when you're going to like you, I, you know, I'm obviously I'm a different type of type of role. I love going into contact centers and spending time with them, seeing what they do, how they interact. Um, and it is so, I like the, demographic mix it's Mm. great you know I think I I was reading somewhere something like 70% of contact center staff are female Um, um, and I think that's I think that might be reducing the 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 the, um uh I can't lose my words today um I think there may be more men moving into those roles now Mm. than I've seen previously I don't know I haven't looked at I haven't looked at latest stats um but actually, and I'm thinking of one contact centre in, in, in particular, but the, the, I used to spend a lot of time in, in, in this particular contact centre because I spent a lot of time with the customer. Um, but you couldn't get anywhere without walking through uh, on the floors. You couldn't get to any meeting room without walking through a contact centre, apart from probably the, the board suite. And I was yeah. Um, so it, you got a real sense of it. And then we'd ask to spend time there so we can help, you know, so you can see, well, you know, you're doing it this way, but you've this fabulous technology and it could do this so 
you know, we don't have to spend any more money with this to make all these savings. Why would you not do it? Um, but it, the, the, the sense of community in, in contact centre is, is huge. The support, I mean, obviously, there must be times when people don't get on, of course, but the, 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 the support, the help, the, um, the, the banter, the interaction. It's, a, it's like, uh, and this is such a cliche, but it is like a massive extended, possibly slightly dysfunctional family. But <laughs> yeah. you all know, everybody knows everybody's little quirks and, you know, how they have their coffee and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and to touch on a point you made earlier, I think that one of the other things that, you, that, that gets missed is, is that support. Um, it's really, you know, you come off, a, as you said when we were speaking before, you know, you come off a really bad call, somebody will have heard that and they'll ask you if you're all right, or you can turn to the person next to you and just go, uh, and it, it, it's really hard to do that when you're not with that person. It's hard to ask for help. People, I don't, th I don't think, many people really like asking for help not not really most people are happy to give it very happy to help I think um but asking for it is really really hard and again particularly if you feel you're being judged on specific results it can be really hard to ask for help and support if you think that that will be counted against you in some way so again I wonder if there's a you know there's a how do you encourage people how do you prove to people that they're in a safe environment Again. It's a real yeah. challenge, isn't it? It's a real challenge because you you keep prompting me to think about um, my own times on the phone and how, like you say, I, I my recent past is, I would say, I'm more at home than I've than I'm in any office or contact centre, and that's been the case for the last seven eight years. So I'm a big believer in home working. Um, and I wouldn't want to not have that as a as a viable option realistically. But there's things that you do miss. I was just thinking then about a time when I had a particularly challenging customer who started the call by just shouting. They're very upset. And it was one of those ones where the people near you can hear the shouts. So you kind of pull your headset. You are kind of, you know, just taken aback. And this went on for, it felt an inordinate length of time, but this went on for ages. And when I'd um, completed the call, a guy called Mark sat next to me, just went, and it was just, the, he just went, he just said, best customer you've ever spoken to, you know? <laughs> Excuse me. And um, it was just, that instantly took me from a very low place to a very high laughing and I would just think if I had that exact same call um I could I could have messaged Mark I'm sure mm. and said I've just had a terrible call blah 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 and he would have sent back a gif maybe or something else that but it, I can't imagine it having the same it, it was just the release of pressure and I was ready to get out of rap go back on the on the next call because he just absolutely, his, his comedy timing was perfect, you know, just in the moment. Uh, and it's like, yeah, yeah, she was, she was amazing. Um, and then, and then you're, and then you're back on, and those kind of things we're, we're missing, aren't we? I wonder how people are addressing them, or if they're even thinking about it. Oh, I think they're thinking about it. Um, oh. When um, uh, conversations early in the pandemic, one of the things that. Um, one customer in particular um, was really concerned about was how they maintained that, you know, how do we maintain that at home? Um, I actually don't know how they did, uh, how they did manage it. They're, you know, they're, it was a good supportive environment. So I'm fairly certain they'll have possibly done, you know, quick video calls or meeting, you know, get togethers or whatever. Um, but that, you do lose that in the moment thing. You can't, you can't not, unless, unless the entire contact center was on a Zoom call like this. Yeah. Challenge. Yeah. Really difficult. I, I was taken with a stat that you shared as well, and it definitely, I would say, reflects my career in that um, some 70% of uh, people in the contact centers are female. When you think about um, the kind of, the, the area of the contact center industry that you've been in technology is that is that the same has it been how's that experience been uh not the same actually um surprisingly um because 
I don't I don't know the stat for my industry. Maybe I should maybe I should look at that. I'm often I've often been the only woman in a team um, or the one one of two women in a team, something like that. Um, I when I was in my first leadership role, I was one of only three women out of 20 who were on the management senior management team. Um, yeah, so it's not it's not reflected in the same way. I do. I, I wonder, though, if you look at um, contact center progression, um, I think you do see a number of women. So so the uh, lady I referenced at the start, um, Diane Ward, when I was at Schroeder's was, um, you know, she was um, tele head of telecoms. She had worked her way up. Um, and um, I, I knew a number of other women in the industry, which which meant that I also got to got to meet them because she, she was an amazing boss. She taught me so much. Um, and so uh, and I think you fairly often see um, women who've who've moved into head of head of contact center, head of customer services. Um, but I think we touched on this before. It, it, it kind of seems to stop there. It doesn't necessarily then translate into, you know, board level type positions and um i did have a a quick look at, at why that was uh, and, and you know everybody that's quite a common question is, is what happens there um and there's a there is sorry to do the statistic thing i don't do this very often but, but um out of every for every hundred men that are promoted only 86 women will be wow. so as, and it's called the broken rung apparently um who knew uh so um so as you get to fewer roles the available pool of candidates is smaller um and obviously that's magnified again when you're talking about women of color because it, you know that they're, they're mm. just fewer and fewer so i don't know if if that also applies in contact center even though you're starting from a position where there are you know 70 percent of people in those roles are women. I don't know if the um, promotion ratio is still the same if more men are promoted than, than women are in the, into those roles. I'm not sure that's the point you were making necessarily. No, um, I think it's, again, it's a really, it's a really interesting point. I'd never, I'd never heard of that. But again, this whole um, last few years, actually, because I've always felt like I've, I, one of the reasons I loved contact centres was like you mentioned diversity they always felt very equitable places and very really very inclusive yeah. um but i think that kind of blinded me a little bit to the lived experiences of people who unlike me a uh, white middle-aged male have had very different experiences to either get to the same position i'm in or not get it you know and um I think again, you can you can hold the same two you can hold the same two things at the same time, which is a love of our industry and celebrating its uh, diversity, its inclusivity, it's that it's an equitable place, but also say, well, we don't have many of yeah. minorities in C level positions. We've got to do something. What what are we going to do? Where are the role models? Do you have shadow boards? Where where are your policies and procedures that are showing that you're actively tackling this i think you can absolutely have both hold both oh, positions absolutely and you can see industry industries and and um, in each industry there are stand out businesses that you you know do this well that, that we see that we we know do this well um mm. so it's absolutely a thing it's absolutely possible um it's sometimes i don't think it's lack of willingness sometimes i think it's um you know, lack of not, I'm not even going to say understanding. I think it, I do think it comes back to what is perceived as the available pool of talent. And, and, and then, so I suppose we're working that right back to then. Um, well, you know, where's your feeder for that? Where, mm. where, where are you choosing from? You know, if you're only choosing, and you say about being, you know, white, middle class, male, I'm uh, middle, middle age, whatever you said, I'm the same, just, just female. And I know that I have had. Um, you know, there's been, I've benefited from that. I know, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've benefited from, from that privilege. And, um, it, and it, 
I just want other people to have this the same opportunity there are more opportunity you know but mm. because and there's got to be a way of finding it there's you you know if you if you're in um you know if you're in a senior role in a, a massive blue chip organization and you're you know you have some input into who you're bringing into the business well you know have have people stay with your business forever or let them go around and invite them to come back um because it's you know this talent is not that hard to spot is it no, no. not really you know and it, again very very early in my career to, to talk about um, bt again um they absolutely had a management you know they looked for management talent in their um in their early intake you know and they the young people that they brought into the business this was the first time i worked for them I certainly they still do this um and i you know i went to school with people who were in in found that way I was um I was slightly less diligent at the time when I was first with BT so I oh, I see. An opportunity um had, you know had uh, other priorities um and um but you know both the the people I'm thinking of that went through the you know were spotted uh, you know one of them um she was chief exec of a large communications business and I think she's she's only just stopped doing that um, that's quite galling most you know influential yeah. women in telecoms went to the same school same year <laughs> um, and um and then you know other others that i know did the same thing who were equally you know we were in the same class at primary school for goodness sake so you know they, they were spotted early on and they they've done very very they've done very very well because they were noticed um and i just think it's the i don't know i get get to that again you know if you want to change your board level look where your talent is now look where it is in your business and it might not be a youth intake it might be somebody who's in their 40s or their 50s or whatever just there is a way to find it I think and obviously nobody's expecting anybody to take somebody from the um, contact center and put them into the board that's not, not going to happen but there is I'm wondering a bit but there is there is talent there I think and I, I I don't know if it's confidence I don't know if that's thing of that thing about um uh you know women will respond to a role advertise if they've got 90 or 95 percent of the skills men will typically respond if it's 10 to 20 percent and I, I don't know I don't know if that comes into it I don't know if there's a you know is it confidence as well I think all of these things all helpers have more information about um the situation and i think maybe uh i could i could be in danger of being naive here but i certainly whether it's people that come on the podcast or people that i meet at events or people within my work or the clients we have there's absolutely recognition now and a desire and an understanding that the more diverse the makeup of your teams are including the board the more successful your company's um, likely to to be, and it, and a lot of that doesn't it comes about because you mentioned um, someone who was very much a role model for you early in your in your career, and you no doubt are a role model for others that start. <laughs> why not um, starting uh, in lower positions right now in Odigo or in in a other company that you've you've worked in. If you can see it and you go, I recognize myself in that person, mm. it reassures you and maybe makes you more confident to say, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for it. Um, because I find all of these, all of these kind of conversations and stats fascinating, because I think it really helps us understand both human nature, but also the kind of organizational nature, how organizations operate, mm. what their what their culture's like, and how you can be positively um, disruptive. Their culture things is a whole other podcast time, isn't it? I'm going to talk about that. I think there's um, yeah, when you see somebody um, living the values of your business in in their day to day um, activities, that that's again that that that's got to be someone you want, isn't it? That's got to be mm. someone you want to retain. You know, so. Um, it, it you know, just making sure that they know that they've been noticed 
mm. you know, and, and, and you, you mentioned the peer-to-peer -peer thing earlier, you know, the uh, recognition yeah. type thing. Mm. Um, I'm a big user of that, of course, I would be, wouldn't I? But I, I like those things. But actually, the um, I think also there's a real power in um, senior in leaders noticing and you know getting a if you get a personal message from somebody who you may not you you only know their name but you, you know they've been told about you while you're on the you know you're working away and you get a message from I don't know head of customer services um you know somebody else saying you know heard you've done a really great job thank you da, 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 da. that I think that's worth so much and I and again I don't know if it comes back to time but I don't know how often that really happens I, I really, really, it's a really good shout. I again think personally, I've got um, someone I work with, and she is excellent at highlighting people doing good stuff and um, going up with that information and doing it in the moment as well. Because I think that's a really good point. It seems like we're, we've all never been busier. What she's really good at is she will do it in the moment. So it doesn't need to be uh, like a play. It, it's not. It's not. You know, super pros. Uh, it is from her actually. Unfortunately, she's brilliant at everything. Um, but in the moment, she will let me, other directors, know about people that have done great things. And like you said earlier, it, it's really important, especially at a time when people have joined remotely. Their only experience of a company is remote. They haven't even being in the same room as the leadership team how do you kind of get noticed what do you and again that's probably another whole podcast isn't it is what can you do if you're listening to this going well I kind of do fancy a career but I'm worried that because I've joined remotely people don't really know me or it's only really my my next lineup that knows me or my peers oh, how do I get yeah. how do that, I get that's, known that that's tough actually I think because a big part of that getting known is your personality. And I think when you first start with a business, you, you don't necessarily display the things that would get you noticed that actually will get you on that path. I think that, that's the probation. Yeah. <laughs> that's um, but that that that's a really I think that's a definitely another podcast. I, I wish I had the answer to that. Uh, that that is definitely um, you know, how do you get noticed positively? Well, maybe should we maybe let's um talk afterwards and see if we can schedule in uh, another one um because one of the things you said it also was potentially another podcast was <laughs> was culture why did that kind of like trigger something in your mind then oh because um some organizations have a very well written set of values and um if you asked, I think at a senior level, there would be a core belief that the business abides by them. I think if you went to micro level, that is unfortunately all too often not the case. And um, so I think it's really challenging to change the underlying culture of a business. And you're certainly not going to change it by putting a few words into a mission statement or you know changing your um, ob company objectives and if you aren't honest about what that culture is today if it's not healthy or if anyone feels it's not healthy then I think you aren't going to change it because nobody will dare say anything to get it changed so if you want to celebrate that inclusive diverse supportive nature that you in so many contact centers if you want that throughout your organization and really why wouldn't you you've got to recognize whether it's there or not now um, I've, I've worked for businesses that have the most fantastic culture that are just marvelous fabulous places to be and others that are less so and it's really unless you're honest I've said this already but unless you are honest about what you are trying to achieve and where the what that journey is from where you are now to where you want to be I, I don't think culture necessarily is easily changed mm. and I think and it's it. driven it's driven from the top it absolutely and but down from the top down to supervisor if there's anything anyone in the middle of that 
that is let's say toxic so that's where we know we're going but if there's anyone in that layer that has sufficient power to or is not interested in 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 the people working for them but more in the end result then you're not going to have a supportive inclusive environment are you no not at all I, I couldn't agree more and I think it's always a litmus test is go and ask people what's what's your culture like how they answer and the language they use and the words that they use should that should be seen in the values other than rather than the other rather than the other kind of other way around which is here are our values try and try and introduce this into your everyday everyday conversations please um i've even observed it wasn't a, a company I, I i'm in or deal with but i've observed um someone asked one of the guys about their lanyard and their lanyard had their values some of the kind of values on there and said can you can you know can you name them and you know maybe it was a little bit unfair the test but just off the top of the head I think they got one out of six <laughs> you know and it was around their neck and it was around their <laughs> neck every day because it wasn't but it but that wasn't to say that that place was a bad place it was just that there was a misalignment to because if I think if you said what is the culture like they're like oh it's fun it's friendly we have a good time we have a good laugh you know it's very high fast paced but then if the, the the values don't reflect any of that you know it's it's mean the meaningless really that's sparked something in my head that i was talking to somebody about the other day it's do the kpis of your business the kpis yeah, of your that's much more important. also reflect yeah. the values of your business that's really hard to get right i think really hard but it's also important you can't expect your frontline advisors to exhibit and live those values and um and often in their roles they are expected to um uh, uh, to to you know embody those values to the people that they are interacting with to to, to your customers you know to your customers mm -hmm. um if they're not then measured against them if they're if you're if you're measuring on um, oh, let's let's go for my least favorite average handle time. If you're if you're measured on that, but the one of the values is empathy, um, customer, uh, you know, focus or mm, what yeah. all of that. You that th they're incompatible, and, yeah. and 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 you still see that. You you still see it that the that the KPIs and the custom company values are not aligned in any way. And I think it's it's almost it's completely unfair to expect frontline advisors to to somehow be able to juggle between the two it's mm. not mm. it's not reasonable expectation i don't think well maxine this has been um fascinating i think your kind of passion for our everything in our industry and doing the right thing i it's just been great to to talk to you and i have a funny feeling we'll be doing <laughs> we'll be doing another one at least so but maxine allard for now thank you very much no thank you